letter two part one of the outcast by william winwood reed this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine letter two my dear frank i enclose you a copy of eliot's last production written in a state of insanity just before he committed suicide it will reach you i hope before ellen's return as i suppose you would not wish her to see it you make it a rule i know not to discuss theology with women and i am much of your opinion when ellen was a girl i carefully attended to the culture of her mind and encouraged her to read works of philosophy and science but though i saw that she possessed a vigorous intellect i did not dare to carry her beyond the limits of theism i feared that for her my faith would be but a system of cold and comfortless philosophy and that if at some future time in adversity or suffering a religion became necessary to her she would run no slight risk of falling into superstition i saved her from that danger by teaching her to believe in a god compared with whom the god of the bible is a very indifferent character but i need not say that my god though a nobler conception is just as much a creature of fiction as the other they are both made by human heads as idols are made by human hands only while the people of the churches and the chapels worship an idol of brass i gave my daughter an idol of gold i formed her a god of the purest and noblest ideas and she still believes it to be real of course some day or other she may discover the deception and were she to read the enclosed manuscript she would i think cease to believe in the divine benevolence and next would begin to suspect that the being called god is as much a fabulous creature as jupiter mars or apollo and then comes the great question would she be able to accept our religion which demands such an utter abnegation of self would she even understand it i fear that she would lapse into that state of scepticism and indifference which in a woman at least is more odious and harmful than superstition i therefore advise you not to show her this manuscript but read it yourself without delay for you will be able to enjoy it it will not make you tremble in your shoes you have climbed above theology as the alpine mountaineer above the clouds a new thing under the moon the habit of reading in bed is delightful but the books used for that purpose should be carefully selected it was most imprudent of me to read and at dr scott's of all places in the world the confessions of an opium eater just after three chapters of butler's analogy i might have known that it would give me mental indigestion needless to say that i had a dream and such a dream or rather such a series of dreams yet though i spent a bad night it is some consolation to reflect that it was so ordained for the good of mankind i am willing indeed to admit that the system of cosmogony set forth in my dream may possibly not be true and i shall not claim for it the name of revelation as other dreamers have done i merely assert that my theory of cause and creation is the best that has ever been propounded it explains all the facts of history and nature is in harmony with science and is supported by analogy above all it is quite original nothing like it has ever been imagined before and though solomon wisely observes that there is no new thing under the sun there may be a new thing under the moon and dreams are exceptions to every rule however my readers shall judge for themselves 
i dreamt first of all i was standing as it seemed to me in space and i had a curious kind of impression that the infinite was not too large but just the right size for a person of my dimensions i observed something in the distance of a dark and shadowy appearance in form like a promontory of which i could plainly perceive the extremity or point but not the base and middle parts although as the point was exactly opposite my range of vision and was turned away from me it was clear that the bulk of the promontory must be situated between me and the extremity in question this puzzled me much and after staring some time i closed my left eye in order to see more distinctly then up shot a huge wall to the left of my right and still open eye if you look at your nose with both eyes open and then look at it with one eye shut you will understand what i mean i had in fact been surveying the tip of my own nose which was distant many thousand miles from the middle of my face i glanced at my shoulders but they extended indefinitely into space i could not see either of my hands they were too far off and when i lifted one up it seemed like a huge flesh-coloured mountain sailing towards me through the air and threatening to crush me if i did not pull it back then i thought what a dreadful thing it was to have such a nose and a body which could only be measured by means of a trigonometrical survey a cold perspiration broke out on my forehead and i calculated that each drop was about the size of the atlantic ocean this woke me with a start i sat up in bed felt my nose and then cursing all opium-eaters lay down and fell asleep again i next dreamt that i was seated in an amphitheatre or circus in the midst of a large audience i was conscious that i had the same body as before and that all the persons present were equally enormous yet i could see the ends of my shoulders and my nose did not seem to be long the reason of which i supposed to be this that in my previous dream i was in a transitional state my body had become that of the demigods whose kingdom i had entered while my eyesight remained in the human condition but now my vision had also been enlarged and i soon found that it possessed extraordinary powers the arena of the circus must have been many millions of miles in extent and was a bottomless pit of pure ether traversed by a bright shining ball round which sailed a number of dark little beads attending its course now i fancied i had seen them somewhere before i looked at them again more attentively there could be no doubt at all about the matter it was the solar system my mind was still that of a mortal so instead of looking down on our little universe with the calm curiosity of a superior being i had the injured feeling of an inhabitant and rose to go saying it is only an orrery after all however i observed that the eyes of the spectators were all turned in the direction of the earth so i looked at it too and then a oh wonder of wonders what did i behold i could see the whole globe and everything upon it even worlds of animalculi too minute to be distinguished with the best microscopes even the waves of light invisible to mortals which break upon the surface of the earth like the waves of the sea upon the shore i could see every man woman and child and study their actions without effort or confusion i could view at the same time numberless dramas of domestic life which were being performed within the dramas of the nations while these were only parts of the great drama of the earth 
it is of course difficult to explain how so many different objects could be at the same time gathered by the eye transmitted to the brain and assimilated by the intellect it would be difficult to explain to a maggot how the eye of a man can take in a landscape at a glance yet these powers of vision will not seem excessive when the size of the eye is taken into consideration i should say that the pupil of a demigod's eye is about double the sun's diameter and no doubt if dissected would be found to contain lenses of extraordinary structure but i have merely to record facts and am not called upon to offer explanations the pleasure i derived at first from looking at the earth was soon marred by the fearful tragedies which i saw everywhere enacted it was nearly all blood and tears and unable to gaze any longer on the torture of my kind i rose to leave the theatre at the same time one of the audience went out followed by a titter from the crowd and i recognized in him the likeness of an historical personage or rather the historical personage was a likeness of him then i understood that this earth life of ours is only a satirical play that our great men are caricatures of famous demigods their vicissitudes and actions ingenious lampoons and is this all thought i to myself are we with our proud aspirations only as puppets in a show our love ambition and religious sentiment the tremulous passion the desire of fame the divine yearnings of the soul are these but as the jerkings of a wire cunningly contrived are the terrible combats of life as gladiator games to make the demigods a holiday ah then it is sad and yet do not men as it is often martyr their lives to make a noise in the world and gain the plaudits of a human audience and should not we who aspire to greatness rejoice that we play before the immortals and may hope to achieve celestial fame thus i tried to console my suffering heart but alas it was in vain i had a hope one last hope and now it was destroyed for i saw that the dead cannot be united since we are but as shadows that vanish away all is lost all is done farewell for ever lilian farewell my only love for evermore i fled into space but i found that the senses of hearing and smell were endowed with powers not less marvellous than those of the sight though now far away i could smell the earth which gave forth a carrion stench not only from its body but its soul each vice had its horrible odour it is true that each virtue had its fragrance as well and sometimes though rarely a breath of perfume floated through the air and now strange sounds arose i heard the humming of the earth as it span and the roaring of the fire in its innermost depths i heard the whispers of conscience and the chidings of remorse the sighs of unrequited love the cries of many agonies at the same time i heard the audience hooting and shouting off off shame apologize where is the lord chamberlain but in the midst of this turmoil the cries of anguish were hushed a sweet balmy smell was diffused through space the voices of the earth rose in a strain of enchanting melody and thunders of applause seemed to indicate that the drama was concluded then i woke up and found my cheeks all wet with tears which i had shed my servant who is very attentive perhaps a little over-attentive has taken my lamp away but there is a splendid moon 
and i am writing near the window by its light i do not understand why the day after my dream they put me into this room which is not so large as my own and furnished in very bad taste the walls being stuffed like a first-class carriage on a railway where are my books what mean those sentinel footsteps outside the door stealthily opened and the cold grey eyes which search into my soul ha 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 look at those little black imps dancing in the moonlight on the floor patter 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 pit-a-pat pit-a-pat ah lilian my dear you should not come out at night in that thin white shroud and it's no use your coming here any more the windows are barred and i can't take you home to the quiet churchyard and put you to bed in your cosy little grave we can meet no more by the light of the moon besides it is but a play we should only be amusing the people up there oh cruel author why did you kill her in the first act too very inartistic at least i don't know as this life is a penny gaff sort of performance it was more effective to do it when she was young for if she was old and ugly no one would care but who could see her die then with the beauty of girlhood still blushing upon her and her death caught nursing the poor sick child who could see her die then without being smitten to the heart it must have brought down the house weep ye gods weep your oceanic tears and waft your sighs in gentle gales to mourn poor lilian and her lover lying on the grave digging at the ground with his nails and teeth seized bound hand and foot and then brought here oh no doubt it was a fine stroke of art most charmingly devised well it's a hard world and we cannot all be kings and queens to one is the part of the villain he is hissed to another the maiden in distress and poor mad tom must be played too i kept myself awake for i feared another dream but the odours of the earth lingered in my nostrils and its horrible cries still sounded in my ears after all i thought it was best to sleep if i could luckily the last number of the quarterly review happened to be in the room and i knew that dr scott recommends this publication in cases of sleeplessness and nervous excitement the article i selected was a perfect soporific an essay on the darwinian theory and before i had finished the preamble it had sent me to sleep but on that fatal night even the quarterly review could not prevent me from dreaming and in fact i dreamt of a review for my third dream took me to a demigod club where i found the following critique in a periodical lying on the table i wrote it from memory as soon as i awoke end of letter two part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine